Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're enjoying your weekend. Today is part of our campaign 2022 coverage. We bring you two candidate appearances. Coming later, some may not realize that Kentucky elects its coroners to determine causes of death. Candidate for Fayette County Coroner Larry Owens will join us in a few minutes. But first, we discuss the race for Lexington Mayor. Challenger David Kloiber is here to talk about his campaign to unseat incumbent Mayor Linda Gorton. Kloiber is a city councilman who decided after one term to run the city's top job. He finished second in the May primary, far behind Gorton. But crime and public safety staffing have emerged as major issues in the campaign in recent weeks, and Kloiber and Gorton have different approaches to that. Kloiber has also called for easing restrictions that he says are keeping Lexington from being affordable uh, for many people. Kloiber grew up in Lexington. He runs a family foundation that provides opportunities for youth and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Good to see you again. It's good to see you Bill. Uh, as we noted that you grew up here you remember a time when the city was considered safer uh, than it is right now and now there are a record number of homicides it appears which tied with the all-time record a shortage of police officers and E911 dispatchers. How did we get to this point? Well we didn't get here overnight. I think that's the first thing everyone can agree with. Um, it was it was a lot of things over over many years, and you know, the pandemic didn't help, but we also aren't necessarily helping ourselves. So, um, we could talk to any one of those points. I don't know which one you wanted to uh, discuss first, as to kind of how we got there. But the long and the short of it is, we need to do something new, something something different in order to address these issues well, now. Let's, let's just talk about the homicides and, mm -hmm. and the, the the city's approach to to dealing with that. You know, the police chief says it is very difficult to prevent things that uh, are uh, domestic situations or uh, some of these situations that are uh, some kind of beef going on with people and then there's uh, not a lot of information that comes to the police department. You're sympathetic to that? Absolutely. But there are some things that are much easier to prevent. When we get into situations of retaliation, where one group of individuals is going after another group because of some either perceived slight or something that has happened between them, we can gather the intelligence necessary and monitor those individuals and prevent it before happening. It's actually one of the core tenets of GVI, the proposed framework that I've, I've put forward as a plan for the city. Group violence intervention is what that is, GVI. The mayor says it isn't right for Lexington, and uh, Police Chief Weather says that it could inadvertently uh, and unfairly target people who are not involved in violence. So I've heard both of these uh, claims, and they don't appear to be founded in any of the evidence that we've researched or that the community has brought forward. Um, in fact, in most places we've seen that, that because of the community involvement, because this policy says, hey, let's get officers out of their patrol cars and walking neighborhoods. Let's get them out there talking with neighborhoods, building community bonds, that we actually see the opposite. So in places where we've seen GVI implemented, there have been usually very steep decreases in the first few years of this kind of gun violence because they're able to go after these individual retaliatory groups and make sure that that isn't happening on our streets. All right, you have said this is a major proposal on your part, so what would GVI do in your view? A, a, a version that, that Mayor David Kloiber uh, would uh, endorse. Absolutely. The first thing is we've got to get our police out of their patrol cars and walking through neighborhoods. They need to be a part of the community they protect. This fosters more of a relationship between the community and the neighborhoods 
And there's one thing the chief has asked for, which is he wants the community to be more engaged. Well, GVI fosters that. It brings the community, it brings the judges, it brings the police all together so that we can identify and locate these individuals who are involved in the majority of this kind of violence and give them the opportunity to be removed from the situation so they're no longer bringing harm to our communities. The mayor has said that this has not uh, particularly produced good results in other cities. You have differed with that and said that you have checked with some of the cities that have adopted the program. Absolutely. We've actually been reaching out extensively, and I've personally spoken with people in many cities across the country. Um, again, people in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, in Columbus, Ohio, in Cincinnati, Louisville, um, they're all seeing decreases in their violent crime, even post-COVID. So what we're seeing is places that are taking these kind of actions, that are having these robust plans to address violence, they're the ones driving this national trend. I know one thing that I could point out is the national trend for homicides is down. Right now in cities across the country, it's a 4% decrease in homicides throughout our cities. But here in Lexington, we're at almost a 30% increase from last year having hit that 37 uh, mark just the other day. Do you have uh, confidence in the leadership of the police department? I believe that our police is very well trained, very well staffed, and in my conversations with Chief Weathers, I know that he is working his hardest in order to solve these problems. I know that he and I might not see eye to eye on, on the details of how we address this issue more concretely, um, but I think that right now they're doing the best they possibly can with the leadership they have behind them. He says there are about 85 officers short. Uh, the, the FOP says they don't count those who are in training right now, and so that it's more like 115. Uh, that is uh, quite a shortfall on the streets. It is, and that shortfall is actually a direct result of the mayor taking three years to negotiate a contract. So back in 2019, our shortfall was half what it is now. However, because there was a delay in negotiating that contract, we had many officers that left for better wages, better benefits. Only by the time we closed our uh, negotiations did the places around us begin to increase their pay as well, kind of perpetuating this cycle. So I get that we have a shortfall. There are things we can do to let people know that working with the police here in Lexington can be a much better experience than elsewhere. But right now we're sitting in this situation because again, things that have taken years and years to build up to get us here. The 911 dispatcher shortage has led to uh, longer wait times for people in emergency situations. Uh, that is an emergency of its own. Uh, you have recently visited the dispatch center, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Ask questions. Yes, just the other day, yeah. I think that a lot of times you need to see the personal experience. You need to talk to the individuals and hear their stories because we have some very experienced individuals down there at our E911 center who are working many overtime hours to cover the fact that we don't have as many people as we should in order to staff that. Um, that is something that needs to be addressed and I think that the issues that are driving people away from work here in our city at E911 are things that we can readily address with just some budgetary items and making sure that they're getting compensated fairly compared to other municipalities in the area. Before we leave the crime issue, are, do you feel confident that if you uh, were to become mayor of Lexington, you could make a difference and make a dent in those crime numbers? I think that in order to make that dent, you need 
community involvement. And right now we have thousands of community members who are willing to stand behind the plan and the framework that I've put out there in order to make a dent. So yes, I do believe that in just the first two years of implementing these programs, we could see a dramatic decrease in this violence. Do you think that the, the one Lexington program is effective, that uh, Divine Karama is uh, running? I think that we've had mentorship programs like the one Lexington for many years, and they are effective at doing what they're doing. I just don't feel that a social program, a mentorship program, is the same as a policing strategy. And we need to make sure that we have an overall encompassing strategy that brings social programs, that brings officers, and brings the community together. Let's talk some other issues. You have made the point that most of Lexington's workforce doesn't live in the city. Uh, many uh, can't afford to. Uh, do you support opening up more areas for development uh, as the group uh, Lexington for Everyone uh, has been proposing? I think it needs to be intentional. I think we need to make sure that where we are looking to develop, we already have infrastructure in place and that it is not endangering the things that, that hold our identity, like our horse farms. But if you look at our, the interstate that does not run through the center of our city, it has such a lack of development around it and that is a huge economic driver. We are centrally located and we have a junction between two major interstates right here in our city. We need to build housing along that corridor. We need to build jobs along that corridor. We need to utilize what we have here so that the burden doesn't get placed just on the taxpayers who live here in order to support that kind of housing. There's, there's always though, a lot of give and take in this community uh, because it, some of what it is known for is the horse farms and the, and the beauty and the landscape and so forth. And recently when the, the soccer uh, team wanted to do a major complex on the on the north side of Fayette County. Uh, the mayor came out against that, and uh, it, it looks like at this point uh, that is being rejected by the city. It's being rejected by a small portion of individuals who have a very large say. And um, I think that most of the people in this city could appreciate having those kind of amenities because it's soccer fields for our youth. It's regional development, economic development. People could come here from all over the country in order to use those kind of fields. I understand and appreciate protecting our horse farms, but we have to learn how to coexist. We have to learn how to balance things because if we don't address this problem, we're going to end up with just unmitigated sprawl. You can't stick your head in the sand and not address it. It needs to be balanced. Well, the affordable housing issue is, is major. Uh, not only are the home prices uh, high and climbing, uh, but also the rental prices are very high in the community. And yet, it has been said that if you open up more areas for development, that the developers will come in and not necessarily build affordable homes. Uh, and there's some experience with that. Uh, is there a way that the city could entice uh, uh, more moderate-priced homes? Absolutely. And I think one thing that needs to be said is just every house that's built lowers the cost of all other housing because people only live in one home. So it's a supply and demand issue. When we're talking about price points, there's a lot that we can do to incentivize different levels via either zoning or the Affordable Housing Trust, which I'm sure you're aware of. We can do a lot to help out there from the government side of things. But just at a very basic level, the more homes we build, the less costly it will be to live here in the city. 
How important would it be to you that uh, individuals feel comfortable in talking to you, whether they stopped you on the street or they uh, came to your office to, to have a meeting? And, and uh, is there a reason that they should or should not feel comfortable in that, in that setting? <laughs> I, the, some of my favorite conversations over the last few months have been people who have just stopped me to talk. I think that um, one of the things I'll always say is, I'm going to listen to what you have to say. I'm going to treat you like the expert of your own life. And I'm going to answer your questions. And maybe we don't always agree. Maybe we don't always have the same viewpoint. But I'll tell you how I feel. I'll tell you what I'm thinking. And I will treat you like the expert you are so that we can have a real good dialogue. So yes, please, if anyone's interested, uh, reach out, stop by. If you see me walking down, you know, flag me down. I'm, I'm happy to come over. Do you change your mind often? I do, I do. It's one of those things where um, I can't assume that I know everything, you know, and so when I learn new facts, I will change my mind. It's often infuriating to my wife when uh, I'll just say I was wrong and, and move on in the conversation. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a great experience to know that you can learn, that you can change, and that there's other people with lived experience that can help you grow. How prepared are you to deal with the unforeseen? Uh, uh, no one could see the, the pandemic coming. Uh, we couldn't see uh, uh, ice storms that came early uh, in this century and, and, and at other times since. Other problems that crop up that immediately call for leadership in, at the top of city government. So one of the things that I've had a lot of experience with is running a lot of different companies through a pandemic. And I think that what we all noticed is there was a lot of different problems that rose up from financing to just operations to work, making sure your staff was still employed. And I had experience meeting each and every one of those in order to guide these businesses through that pandemic. So we've all had different experiences in life. Mine fall in the realm of you know community partnerships at the foundation or through the businesses I run through my investment company. But when you have the unexpected, that's just an opportunity to shine. It's an opportunity to rise up and to get an advantage and move us forward. And that's one of the things I want to bring to the city is the ability to meet these challenges and move Lexington even farther forward. One question about the, back on the securing crime issue, I didn't ask you about this, the, the flock cameras. Uh, and uh, uh, the administration indicates that they have been quite effective. Uh, are, are you supportive? And would you uh, be for more of that type of surveillance? So I think that the issue comes down to where are our resources best spent? When we're talking about a quarter of a million dollars for license plate readers, I have to say, would that money be more effective spent preventing crimes? Would it be more effective spent making sure we have officers in our neighborhoods? Would it be more effective spent saying we're building these community relationships and these intelligence gathering apparatus so we can know when, who, and where these events will take place? Cameras can only help you after the fact. They're never going to prevent anything. I'd rather spend our resources preventing this violence instead of just trying to clean it up. How important is the relationship between the city government and the University of Kentucky? Oh, it's, it's, the University of Kentucky is a, a huge beating heart of our city. So I think that any opportunity you have to improve that relationship should be jumped on. I know a few examples as far as like the potential for jobs training and to make sure that we have those relationships with FCPS and UK, as well as BCTC. If we can bring all those groups together with the city playing a role, we could create something, again, similar to the mayor's training facility that could help us across the board. About five weeks to go. Uh, you anticipate being busy here in this campaign? 
a little bit, a little bit. We're out there every day. Uh, we're knocking doors. If I knock on your door and say hello, I hope you'll talk with me a little bit about what's going on. But yes, we're out there every single day. Uh, the mayor's personally popular. She's been in politics since the 90s, uh, uh, you know, and uh, is engaging when she campaigns. Is that hard to match? You know, uh, people know her, right? But all I, all I want to get out to everybody is we have an opportunity to change. We have an opportunity to take our city somewhere better. And we have, we have options. And I'm out there talking to people every day to let them know, look, I haven't been in politics. I'm not a politician. I'm a public servant. And I'm out here working every day to try and gain your trust. So give me the opportunity, and I'm happy to talk about David it. David Kloiber, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. Thank you. Stay with us in just a moment. You'll hear from Republican candidate for Fayette County Coroner Larry Owens on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Among the races that voters in Lexington will decide next month is for Fayette County Coroner. In Kentucky, coroners are elected and have to be at least 24 years old and a Kentucky resident for two years and lived one year in the county where they're elected. Training programs are offered through the Department of Criminal Justice Training. The office investigates deaths outside those that are clearly from natural causes. In Fayette County, Democrat Gary Ginn has held the post since 2003 and for the third time, he faces Republican Larry Owens on the ballot in November. Owens was a deputy coroner for a decade. He is also a paramedic. Mr. Owens, welcome. We appreciate you coming in today. Thank you, Bill. appreciate you having me. Uh, as we said, you've run for coroner before. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it that you want to bring to that office? I want to return uh, professionalism, compassion, uh, transparency uh, to the office, involvement of the families, more in the death investigations and the procedures and processes that's uh, going on with their loved ones because that's that's a question that the families have. And what is that question? Uh, what is what is going going to happen with my loved one if it's a case that involves an autopsy outside of a normal uh, death? Um, when is the autopsy? When will the fa when will the loved one be released to the funeral home? When can we hold the funeral? Uh, general questions like that. Then it goes on to the death certificate and any question that would be relating uh, of that. And you say that in your campaign materials that you believe that needs to be handled in a very sensitive way, and you promise to do that. Absolutely. Yes, it sure does. That's you're, when you're dealing with a family. Uh, it. They deserve the utmost respect because probably the worst thing that could happen to a family has happened. Do you believe those notifications uh, need to be made uh, uh, personally? Yes. All notifications should be done in person. They should be done with feeling, compassion. To be The deputy should be helpful to the family, spend as much time with the family as necessary, give them all the information. Uh, that they need, that they might need, if it's an out-of-state or out-of-county notification, to obtain as much information from the area that their loved one is in, to give that to the family uh, right off, and then ask them if they want you to stay there when, uh, when the family calls that jurisdiction and, and help them through it. 
You know, in recent years, uh, homicides have jumped. Uh, the opioid crisis has taken a horrible toll in terms of the overdoses, and we've had so many uh, deaths from that. It, 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 being coroner is a very important job that very few people would want. Mm -hmm. uh, how important is it to get the investigation right in those cases? Obviously, you're going to turn it over in many cases to uh, the police or a law enforcement agency, but the coroner's decision is important uh, initially, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, we have to get the investigation right 100% of the time. I mean, that's just what you have to do. Um, it's difficult with the uptick in crime, the uptick in drug overdoses, um, given the social um, problems that we're facing right now, the Lexington faces as a whole. Uh, we have to, uh, we absolutely have to get it right. In Jefferson County, the coroner is a, a medical doctor and a medical examiner for 29 years uh, before she entered office. In many counties, it is funeral home personnel. The training is very uh, disparate across the state. Uh, how would you handle uh, complex cases uh, where uh, a decision, as you said, could affect uh, a court situation or the historical record? When we get called out to a, a scene, we'll say a homicide, uh, it's a multi-agency approach. It's not just the coroner's office. Uh, we arrive, the police are generally already there. They set up their um, perimeter. They control the scene, who goes in, who goes out. Uh, their forensic investigation unit uh, comes out to the scene, documents, um, photographs, videos, um, various um, parts of their, uh, what they're charged with. Um, we have take care, custody, and control of the deceased. Um, we make sure to Yeah. Alright, okay. We make sure to um, take the body, anything that would be pertinent that should go with the body to autopsy to help the medical examiner, any evidence that might be there on the body, with the body, near the body, goes with us. Uh, once all the, the autopsy is complete, the autopsy report comes in, um, then that's where all the information is shared with law enforcement and we participate in any uh, court action, court testimony, uh, along with the medical examiner, along with the detectives on scene that may be necessary. Occasionally there, is a, there can be a coroner's inquest where you uh, do an investigation within the office, right, of a situation. Yes. There can be, yes. Uh, you know, the, this office does not have much turnover. Uh, there have only been five coroners in Fayette County since the 1920s, close to 100 years. Uh, you make the case that now is a time for change. You said, you've told me you are for term limits. You think this office should turn over once in a while. Absolutely. Um, our governmental structure uh, was never set up for a political office or a a political official uh, to be there for their entire career. It was set up to the person to be elected, serve two terms, maybe three. The mayor in Lexington is three terms, um, and then move on. 
the coroner's the coroner's office should be no different, whether it's in Fayette County, Jefferson County, or uh, or any other county. As you go knock on doors, and again, uh, I, I would say at times there, it's difficult to get people to interested in a discussion about that office because mm -hmm. it uh, it can be dark uh, and, and it uh, is something that a lot of people don't even realize is elected. Uh, what are your discussions? What promises do you make uh, and will you be making between now and Election Day uh, in November? You're all right. Talking about the coroner's office is dark um, and for the most part uh, most, I found that most are not even aware the coroner is elected, for one, uh, over my campaigns. That is something I've learned. Um, and I explain, you know, explain to them why the coroner's office is important. And a, and a lot of, uh, of the voters I've spoken with, uh, some have had interactions with the coroner's office, and not always positive. And then that's when they really understand why uh, it's important, why it's elected, and they can make it, you know, they don't like who's there, they can make a change. Uh, but I explain to them, you know, what we do, why we do it, how we do it, and, you know, trying to answer any questions that they have. You'll continue to be busy between now and Election Day? Abs absolutely. We appreciate you coming by. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. We will uh, offer an opportunity as well to the uh, incumbent, uh, Gary Ginn, uh, on the Kentucky Newsmakers as well. Again, appreciate you. We'll be following that race. And we'll be back to wrap up Kentucky Newsmakers in just a moment. Welcome back now to Kentucky Newsmakers. A reminder, we did have David Kloiber, candidate for Lexington mayor, at the top of this broadcast. And Lexington Mayor Linda Gorton is scheduled to be one of our guests next week as we will be continuing our coverage of campaign 2022. It's getting uh, closer and closer all the time. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. Remember, we have updates always on WKYT.com and on our newscast throughout the day. You make it a good week ahead.